welcome to Life Pairings, where two Canadian alcohol connoisseurs mix life events and libations. Hello, I'm Carla Richards. And I'm Brittany Lysing. And, and this, this is Life, life Pairings. pairings. <laughs> because life is hard. We'll pair it with alcohol. I am not who you think I am. Or am I? Is this real? Do you believe me? Am I doing a good job? I really need someone to tell me what's going on. As today's life pairing is imposter syndrome with French 75. We discuss <laughs> We discuss right. Long Island, phony baloney, and Ekaterinburg. Woo! I mean, it's not a like, celebratory uh, topic, but uh, I just wanted to open the bottle of Prosecco on air. Dude, I, uh, I, nothing pleases me more than uh, the cork popping from a bottle of Prosecco. I'm still very afraid of them. Oh, I forgot you are. But it's so fun! <laughs> it yeah. is, but I still, like... So actually, we Brittany and I have been talking like for maybe half an hour before this, and I was literally st- like I had a wrapped cork, taken off the little cork holder thing, cage thing, and was sitting there for a half an hour gripping hold of the cork to the bottle just in case it decided to make its way out on its own. <laughs> um, I get you there, like because I, <laughs> I don't want it to pop in my face. That's for sure. Yes, yeah, but I do enjoy. I don't know. I like shooting them across the backyard. Oh, okay. Yeah. I and, see that's the thing. I always open Prosecco weekly, probably, let's be honest. Yeah. In the house. I'm not usually like outside yeah. pouring it on or like, you know, at a race car thing. Mm-hmm. That's the other place you spray. Yeah. Or anything. Stuff. Yeah. If you won if you won the Stanley Cup or if you oh, yeah. Yeah. won the pennant. I would think if you won the Stanley Cup you're Spraying yourself with beer. I don't. Yeah, maybe. Prosecco and champagne. That's not. Champagne always. I think. I don't know about. Yeah, probably beer for the Stanley Cup. I know that for. (laughs) It was kind of funny. Like, I can't remember. Whatever. Maybe three or four years ago when the Jays were like in a race to the pennant and they were like. They were doing really good. But like everyone was getting so jazzed and they were doing like as if they had won the final. Oh. In every oh. time they won a division, so they'd like win the, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd like win a division title, and they'd be like, "Wow!" And I was like, "You guys, save it, save it." <laughs> Which was like, like, "No, we'll use the really good bottle for that one." Yeah, I was like, "Fuck!" And also drink it, you motherfucker, you rich bastard. Ah, <laughs> oh. oh. I yeah, I can't watch. Um, what is it? What's the car racing F one? I get too upset about the wastage of alcohol. Yeah, it's so alarming. <laughs> wow. Um, Hamilton is just, he just showers now in champagne, apparently. Yeah. He is, this, he is the British F1. F- oh, oh, that's right. That's the thing. What a, like, what a, what a greasy sport to be drinking champagne and they should Sorry. be spraying themselves with Lucky. Oh. Um, but yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah. Back. Imposter syndrome. Oh my God. What a terrible, terrible plague. (laughs) (laughs) What does this mean to you, Carla? So this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I've I've encountered a lot of it. We're kind of getting into our late, well, your mid-30s. I'm getting into my late 30s. A lot of people that I know are kind of experiencing this 
weird thing where they're doing quite well you know whether that's generally that's at work right um and they're successful and that's very confusing (laughs) i do not think we are a generation that was raised even though we were like all given awards like for just showing up i think we're then confused later when they're like oh you're actually doing a good job we're like oh because i just showed up they're like no because you did a good job you're like no (laughs) well and i can't speak for everybody but i i i've lately i've been calling us the last unmonitored generation because <laughs> there was like i don't know what it is like i feel like we just made the cutoff where we were we are considered millennials by definition mm-hmm. like i don't know I, I i there's a lot of stories where we were just riding in the back of our pickup truck and my parents were just firing bologna sandwiches back at us like oh yeah yeah we were allowed to be outside without supervision mo- there was no cell phones there was no and we got no a reporting on our breakups on facebook no it was it so i feel like even like i i think we kind of even though there were started it was starting to be like that generation of like you get an award for participating i remember the first tournament i ever played in uh, in hockey that had that system i was yeah. so mad because <laughs> everyone got a everyone got a medal right and i was like they lost and my dad was like i know but they're trying to make it so it's fair for everyone i was like it's not fair it's a game you either win or you lose right and i remember him like trying to explain to me like i know but this division is kind of hard because some of the teams are really good and other ones are like really bad so they wanted to encourage the other ones and i was like how do they, how will they ever know they lost though and he was just like <laughs> you're a sociopath right um <laughs> see and i was the one that was like yay i'm so happy to be included and that's i don't know if if, um sorry i'm jumping on your thing but um we got to be on a uh to be interviewed for uh the comedy here now podcast on youtube yes check it out um and i like the whole time the whole week after it came out i was like i'm just so glad the big kids let me come play with them isn't that nice (laughs) they're gonna kick me out of their club like super quick but i'm just happy happy to be here yeah i feel like that a lot in life like i just i'm shocked well stand-up comedy was my absolute dream Mm -hmm. so it was so far-fetched and it's such an odd thing to do and you're never really good at it you only just sort of like carve your niche and then try to excel in that way but there's no real like schematic on like who's winning and who's losing right yeah yeah and it's very hard to tell where you are but it's like it's just shock to me when I do good like I'm like like I do good and then all I can think of is the person in the front row that hated it yeah but even if 300 people liked it if there was one person that hated it I'm like yeah I get you dude it sucked you were right not to like it <laughs> like it's so weird and then every sort of congratulations is so public that that feels so odd yes like i think i would be okay if i was just like yeah i did okay great now i have to like move on to the next thing and try to do good at the next thing but when you when you succeed it's so public and when you fail it's so public but when i fail i feel fine with that for some reason (laughs) like i'm just like oh yeah the tracks that's like everything else and yeah. I'm not like too I'm not too like downtrodden about it. I'm just sort of like, yeah, I guess, like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. when I win at something, I'm very like if it's not sports. Sports is different. Yeah. But if when I win at something, I'm just like, oh, I should they that was an accident. They I somebody else deserved it. 
I then I just feel I almost feel worse. Right. Like we I feel maybe just like cut in really quickly and do you have like a really quick description of what imposter oh, syndrome is? I yeah, can't... sorry. Uh for those of you who don't know what imposter syndrome is, it is or is or what it refers to, it's an internal experience of believing that you're not as competent as others perceive you to be. So while this definition is usually narrowly applied to intelligence and achievement, it has links to professionalism and 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 in a social context as well. So it's essentially that you even even if on paper you're successful and everyone knows it, you yourself are like, there's no way I should be doing this. Then yeah, I, I'm gonna I, get caught out for being a fraud. Yeah, you constantly believe you're a phony. You constantly believe that. Uh, like this was all just luck and happenstance, right? Great. Um, and sorry. So we'll go back to your um, comedy stuff. I think probably the arts is a really hard one for imposter syndrome because, like you said, there's not a like. Let's say you're an accountant and you just know you're getting more and more clients. That's like a measurable, yeah. Thing and I mean you can still be like oh geez I'm probably conning all these people and they just I I don't know it and they don't know it but like that's at least something you can see whereas like in the arts it's very um in the yeah. air well it's it's just that it's I mean it's art art is so subjective and you can't define it so that makes it hard to see if you're achieving. Yeah, like you know, like some people might think you suck. Other people, like if you're, like you said, if you're an accountant, it's like, well, he has a lot of clients. He does really well. He does a great job. He's making money for this firm. Everything's trackable. Yeah, but then again, you could be like, well, and I think I don't know if imposter syndrome gets fed in by like whatever internet troll aspects. I'm gonna say like people that are being like who judge people for being uh, successful. I think that's very much part of our culture. Is yeah. that like, oh, he's just lucky. You know, he's just lucky he got all those clients. And you know what? I bet you he fudges the books and da 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 da. Um, yeah, it's well, it's it's I, I think you're right. I I think that a lot of times it's being like you're getting told by so many other people you're wrong. Like yeah. even and jealousy is not new. No. It's not a new thing, but now you can see it. Yeah. And people it it like the the higher you raise up rise up in anything they want to pull your socks out from under you like they want to see you fall they don't want to see you succeed because they think they should be succeeding exactly uh, and so how can you not unless you're like a psychopath how can you not feed that back into your brain going like well maybe they're right yeah so what what about imposter syndrome made you feel like this was a life event because this was carla chose imposter syndrome and i was like yeah that's awesome um but what what about it made you feel like this was a life event I feel like it's something that you maybe go through when you actually become successful at something. Right. Um, and I don't know if this is a thing that I, um, you you're going to teach me a lot today. Um, I don't know if this is a thing that's been going on for a long time or if this is a more modern thing. Um, but I am just noticing a lot of people being very, and maybe it's just because of our background, what we came from. So, like, we're from Alberta, so, like, we don't have an inheritance thing. Nobody gives a damn who your dad is. It's very much here. I'm yeah. sure maybe in other cultures, like, where in, like, Britain, maybe where you, like, er, like success is very much inherited, so therefore you're fine with being successful. Right. 
I don't know. There's a lot. And so maybe because we're shifting, like we went from a world where you inherited that success and it was a given that you were going to be successful because you were getting your daddy's money and then you would take his business and da, 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 da to this sort of, you know, uh, self-made person. Yeah. That's exactly the phrase I was going to use is the self-made, the self-madeness of it, I think is where it sort of starts to creep in. Yeah. Yeah. So actually you'll be surprised you asked like, when did this start? Um, yeah. So the first time the term was coined or used, first used, was by psychologists Susan Imes and Pauline Rose Klontz in nineteen in the nineteen seventies. Oh, right, con- okay. So the concept was initially introduced um, to apply to the most high achieving women. Oh, so, of course it's from it's yeah, of course that makes sense. Because anytime any a woman achieves success, she had so many people doubting her that she, even though the success was on paper, like she was doing it right, they had so many yeah. people being like, nope, that she yes. was like, no. And even even if they weren't like, no, it was sort of built into your brain as like, I'm not good enough. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, we're um, kind of trained to be very self-reflective. And yeah. that's not always in a positive way. Yeah, and I and I think too, like a lot of you know, there it, it was a lot of the culture was as well. Like you shouldn't be doing this. You're not as strong. You shouldn't be here. So, um, mm-hmm. the really there's some characteristics that go along with uh, with imposter syndrome. Some common signs include self doubt uh, mm-hmm. and an, an inability to realistically at, assess your competence and skills. So, like. You can't even so you're like I can't pick up that paper. You're like I've seen you do it a thousand times. You're like I know, but every I'm gonna every time I try, I almost blow it. It's like I've never once seen you drop it. Yeah, but you just like can't comprehend the idea that you can complete a task. So right. that attributing your success to external factors. So just being like, oh, it's you know, it's because uh, these people were not doing this at this time. So of, of course there was room for me to move up. Right or luck. Is another one I hear a lot from people. Um, it's, yeah, luck. Like, yeah, oh, it was, you know, it's just a right place, right time and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, b- berating your performance. So just being like, yeah, like, you know, th- that's one thing I do all the time. Like, yeah, everyone was laughing, but there were so many places I fucked up. It's like, yeah, right. but you wrote the joke. Nobody else knows that exactly. you did that. You're like, yeah, yeah but yeah. I knew how it was supposed to go and I blew it. Um, fear that you won't live up to expectations. So like I said, even before you do the task, you're just like, nope, can't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, overachieving is huge because you constantly believe that you're not going to be able to do the thing. Right. So you're trying to perfect it constantly. And therefore then you're moving the expectation on yourself even higher. Higher and higher and higher. So you're like, yeah. Which yeah therapist I- is big on lower your expectation <laughs> keep well, going keep going nope. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, sabotaging your own success yeah um i'm big on this that. one yeah i am too um Love, setting- just in general weird stupid shit like i've been you know i'm really good at if i've been eating healthy and exercising uh, that seems like that's not okay for me to be doing. That seems like a thing I shouldn't, I'm not, I don't do things like that. I'll yeah. go eat all the chips. <laughs> Dude, I like, I mean, we, we share the same trainer. What's up, Caitlin? She listens. Ooh. So don't get mad at me when I say But I like do um these workouts and I get really excited about them. And then like the next day I'm like, nope, I'm, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to eat 5,000 pounds of this and I already blew it. So who cares? And it's like three quarters of the way of the day. And then I'm like mad at myself and I'm like, oh, I blew it. I, I could have done it, but I blew it. You always blew it. You knew you would, you know, it's so insane. Right. So, so is insane. this kind of then gets tied into that kind of all or nothing thinking? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th- I don't know. I mean that I, I didn't read that anywhere, but that makes sense. Like that you're we are very of... much like trained because of like people's perfect life on Instagram and um all that kind of stuff. Like if you're not doing perfectly and appearing perfect to everyone else, then fuck it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah, I bet you. Um one... for like any success that I've actually had has nothing to do with me because look, I'm fucking it up now. Yeah, I'm blowing it now. So even though like no one is paying attention and no one notices, <laughs> not one person cares. No, no. one is looking at you. Yeah. No one is thinking about you. You're just uh, it's it's all so internal, and that's a mm-hmm. that's that that's the major thing. I mean, right in the definition, right right off the hop here, um, yeah. it, you know, it discusses it's all in your head. It's all you. No one is saying these things to you. It's just yeah. your you know maybe. Maybe there are things that have been said in the past, but in these specific instances, very internal. That's so, true. Like when we're talking about people like ragging on people for being successful, generally they're not probably, unless you're like Bill Gates or Elon Musk or something, they're probably not saying it to you. They're probably saying it about other people, but then you're going to take that and internalize that. Yeah, you're you're really making it your own. Mm-hmm. So the the last one here too uh, um, for the characteristics is setting very challenging goals. And then feeling disappointed when you fall short. Right. Which, like, again, we're super trained to be doing right now. So it, like, it plays into the overachieving. So, like, one thing I've been trying to do lately is learn French. But mm-hmm. I, I'm doing 8 million other things. And I don't <laughs> turn on the babble very often. Right. So I've set this right. big goal where I want to learn French, but I'm not doing it. Yeah. And then I, uh, I'll hear someone speak French and, I'll, and then I go to myself, you could do that if you weren't such a loser. <laughs> Yeah. It's like you're not you haven't I even tried once. Yeah. It's uh <laughs> so, yeah. actually going back to to our, our good friend trainer Caitlin, who was on previous episodes in for weight training. She's been uh sending me a lot of people that are on Instagram that are um in the fitness industry and are very much this is kind of off topic, but like going into this aspect of like the reason that most diets fail is because they fail right away because you can't fucking stick to them and like so using this whole idea of like perfection is not even an option no that's not something that we can have an expectation on so um that's kind of helping me because when you you know you're doing something you're like i should be like losing 10 pounds and you're like have you ever lost 10 pounds during this before (laughs) no well why the fuck do you think that you should do this now so that's not really tying into that part but like i think all of this culture that we're in right now very much feeds into this imposter syndrome for then when we do have success so then let's say if i did lose 10 pounds 100 percent. do you think i'm gonna go like well it's because i worked really worked out really hard i did a lot no. of cardio i was like no i mean like oh must have been food poisoning that i don't remember <laughs> <Yeah>. having <laughs> or you know yeah you can't you can just never that that's what this is i mean I, everybody suffers to different degrees with with imposter syndrome i, mm-hmm. I think mo- most people i you know, you can't say everybody, but I, I think you'd be a bloody sociopath if you didn't suffer from this a little bit. Where, like, if you were at the top of something and every yeah. ounce of you was like, I should be here. 
I'm the guy. I should be in here. Like I'm the one who that can run. Like that's kind of scary. That's that's kind of the interesting thing is that um, a lot of psychopaths, sociopaths, whatever you want to call them, are at the top of businesses. Yeah, because they don't feel these things. They don't feel these like. So So I think you have this problem is that you have a bunch of CEOs who basically like don't really understand empathy, don't really understand human emotions. That's just how they're born, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of born, kind of uh, is uh, trained into their heads. But um, with then a lot of people, I'm sure that are working in their industry that feel like, oh, I shouldn't be here. And, you know, I don't deserve this. And look at this guy. He feels confident and he doesn't care what, you know, anybody thinks. And he's, you know, just throwing his success everywhere. And I think that it's just a different brain. It's a different brain. Uh, Yeah. But so, so while there can be like, I mean, obviously it's not great, but it (laughs) does motivate some people uh, to achieve because you're constantly doubting yourself. Like, I honestly think, like, if I once believed in myself, it, oh God, yeah. <laughs> I would have, I just would have quit. I would have been like, yeah, got it, figured it out. Like, but you stop working as hard, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You constantly, you let it, you let it get in your head. And actually anytime, it's like being cocky when you go into something cocky, like yeah. you don't, you're always like, I got this. And then you absolutely do not have it. <laughs> <laughs> Like anytime I've ever thought that before a show, like anytime yeah. I haven't been so nervous, sweating, trying to breathe properly, and then I, you know, like that's typical of me before a show. But then right. I like step on stage, and then it feels good. I get that yeah. first joke out, then it feels good. But the times I've been like, "Got this! Don't don't need to worry about this." I step yeah. on stage and die a thousand deaths. Right. And I think and, there's probably a nice, I, I just feel like my therapist, like psychically boring into me being like, I think there's a medium. <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly to get there. But yeah, that's exactly it. It's, it's, uh, so even though these, even though you, um, it's a positive that you are achieving, it usually comes at a cost in the form of constant anxiety. <laughs> so yeah. So you're over prepared all the time. You worked way harder than in, you know everybody else because you're like I gotta you figure don't it get out. You enjoy the, your success too. That's probably a big thing. Yeah, and one big thing that they have to they have underlined here, and and I've got this. I'm reading um sort of like to, out of an article called very very well minded dot com slash imposter syndrome. So I'm not giving you everything they say, but um this is where I've prepared my segment from. Sorry, um, I'm I'm like I I feel like I'm interviewing you because I'm just really interested and I want to know. Uh, yeah. I just want people to know that Are you not an expert in imposter syndrome, <laughs> Brittany? I gave you three hours to do the research. <laughs> I want everybody to know that I am uh <laughs> didn't have lime juice, so I'm just drinking Prosecco and gin and <laughs> um no but so the a big thing that they had um underlined here was the reason you're working harder is to constantly make sure that no one finds out you're a fraud. So that's right. the unhealthy part of it. It's like the hard work yeah. is good. The um, the humbleness is good. And the motivation is good. But the underlying thing is that you constantly believe you're going to be found out. And that is so like, it's it just sets up a vicious circle where you think yeah. the only reason you sur- survived something is that you, you stayed up all night rehearsing. It, it's not it's, because you had any natural talent. You're like, I just did this. Right. And it's funny because I'm sure like if you ask, let's say, like if I ask you, 
about a lot of other successful comedians, would you say like, oh, they're just faking it until they made it and da 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 da? Oh no, no, you're probably gonna well, well like, <laughs> well, no, I, you know, it's funny. Like the people who think they're good are not good, right? <laughs> they're not. Well, yeah. it'll at a lower level. And that's totally true with CEOs that are running businesses and they're psychopaths. They're not actually very good people. Well, and like they're just. I mean, if somebody tells you how good of a comic they are, how good of a writer they are. Like, yeah. that's not even what we want. Like, as people who crave things, they want a tortured soul. They want to hear the depths of someone's, you know. Well, that's why we like comedy. It's a very... I was actually having this conversation in my dentist's office the other day. Um, shout out to Dr. Marcot <laughs> if he's listening. Um, <laughs> thank you for fixing my teeth. They look great. Uh, is that, that comedy is a very much a, uh, a leveling culture let's say and also that it brings it it's uh, there's a very big sense of community because we're all suffering together and the comedy makes that okay right yeah so you do you do they they said that you have an essential job <laughs> oh that's nice uh yeah. <laughs> i mean it's very uh i it is a community for sure and it does i think comedy's for me it was always something that just told me the truth Yes. Like when I listened to it, I was like, "Oh, these people are telling the truth." Like even though, yeah, and in a way that's not, um, uh, like uh, you know, excuse me, talking out at you, or um, you know, telling like it's not lectury. No, and I and I, I don't mean it. I don't even mean it like in a conspiracy way. Like they're not telling. Oh no, 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 no. Sorry, I just mean like if somebody tells you like, "Oh, do you ever notice that?" Uh, when you leave the house, you always check your key for your keys. That's not a funny joke, but let's it's go with my certainly an joke. '80s premise for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean '80s? We all have keys still. I know, but that like, fancy house you live in. No, it was like the '80s was very like observational. They'd be like, "Yeah, yeah. you ever leave your house, but you don't have your keys, but you do have oh. a car, but your keys are in." <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then, like everybody in that theater feels very like, "Oh yeah, I do feel like that." Oh, and other people are laughing. They must feel like that too. Okay, cool. Like my stupid thing that I thought was weird isn't weird anymore. Whereas if somebody was like, if you always forget your keys, you should get this thing. You're like, fuck off. I never forget my keys. Yeah, exactly. You, you're right. It's, it's, it, well, it's very like, um, uh, what's the word? Self-deprecating. Most comics, mm -hmm. most comics are pretty self-deprecating. Yeah. Because... I think if you start to go into the, because that they do, most comics that I talk to suffer from imposter syndrome. Like right. I, I've been at so many bars after someone just absolutely destroyed, like people were scream cheering and <laughs> wanting more and then talk to the guy that just came off stage and he's like, Oh God, they hated me. <laughs> oh yeah. And you're like, no, they didn't. They loved you. They begged for more. And Nope. <laughs> Did you see? Did you see when I almost dropped my drink? I did not see that. Well, I did, <laughs> and it's like you know, it's like these awfully like you build up these moments that no one saw, no one cared about. Uh, they loved you, and yeah. like these people, like these guys, you're like you were like some of the comics that I've thought have been so good. They're just like they have no idea how good they are. It's crazy, right? You're yeah. like, and I think the people that that aren't like that. I don't know why this comes up to my mind, but um. Uh, what is it called? True Crime and Cocktails just did an episode on Army Hammer. Yes. Uh, good recommendation, Nash. by the way. That oh was such a good, so, great podcast, by the way. Yeah. And um, 
Lauren Ash, we love you. If you'd like to come on the podcast at any time, we're lovers. Just be my new friend. Um, he, like he sounds like a very much one of these actors that just thinks everything is fine. But when you find out, like he's kind of an like an uh, and not an heir, but like has come up in a very well-to-do family, so therefore, like success is kind of a given, right? And I think for again, it goes back to that, like, well, yeah, you're expected to be successful. And right. so then, therefore, if you, I think that there are people who go through that and probably then go into a different world, like a different world. Like, let's say your family's in finance and you decide to go into, um, I don't know, you make puppets. Um, you can be really good in that, but you're going to feel very much like imposter because that's not your world. That's not what you believe that you were going to, you know, from a child that, that you were supposed to be good at. Right. So. Yeah, no, totally. I, it, you're right. It's exactly, you know, like, I, I think like. You know, that's maybe where a lot of maybe psychopathic behavior sort of stems from is people being told over and over and over again as a child, you are, you, you deserve this. You are the heir to this. This is your, where you start to believe like, oh, like this is, I have earned all of this already without having done anything. Yeah. And I mean, this falls, sadly, that part, we won't go into it too much, but that I think um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I would love to go into one day about. Um, like sports psychology and of and then unfortunately the association with rape culture because if you have been told that from the age of four that you were the best uh cricket player that has ever set foot on anything i don't know any cricket players that are raping people but (laughs) sure you know what i mean yeah hundred percent. if you're told that from the from day one then um that's very difficult to break that in your own mindset. Whereas if maybe you're told from a very young age that, mm, you know what? You really need to learn math, Carla. Carla. <laughs> Carla. No, you can't be a writer. That's <laughs> not a real job. <laughs> you can be a teacher or a nurse. You don't want to be one of those things. Nope. No other options. You're like, what? Hold on. And then my mom being like, you can be whatever you want. <laughs> so I was very confused. Well, my, my family's very blue collar. So, I mean, it's just like... I think everybody was raised in with the idea that they, you need to see tangible work all the time, right? Yeah. Like, and so sometimes when I'm not tan, not achieving things tangibly, I, it's it's hard to for me to say that I've done anything. Well, we've kind of talked about this a lot. The eight hour work day. Yeah, that's not a thing that works in a lot. That's not a thing that works in most industries. Let's be honest. It doesn't. Your brain quits, and no one cares about anything that much. Like yeah. the thing I, mean, I love. In a service industry where you're just there to serve somebody else? Yeah. I mean, eight hours is not a great number. There's no reason for that. But um, yep. working in an office, yeah, it's not. Well, it's it's also to like, um, it just, your brain stops. Comedy is the thing I love yeah. the most in the world. And I wouldn't want to yeah. write fucking jokes for eight hours. Oh, God. Like, sit down. I love writing. I can't sit down for more than, like, an hour and a half of writing. And I can write some, like, I'll just be on a roll loving it. And after, like, an hour and a half, I'm like, oh, good, I'm done. Thank God. It's exhausting. I'm like, I need yeah. a bath. <laughs> <laughs> tired. It's uh, your third, your thir- Brittany's third bath of the day. Oh, my God. I was telling a friend what she was like, oh, you, I was, she was like, I was like, I had a really busy day today. And then she's like, what'd you do? And I was like, you know, now that you mention it, <laughs> it's probably not as not probably as busy as your day, but it was like busy for me. Like I cleaned a bunch and I watered some plants and I wrote two jokes. So 
like, yeah. you know, busy. Like I um, had my first, uh, I burn out quite quickly just in general, but I've always had a full-time job or like part-time job and maybe another job as well. Um, so like a couple weeks ago, I had a bit of a burnout because my book came out and uh, so I've been doing lots of stuff on that and podcast stuff and whatever. And I was like, but I can't be burned out. I'm not like going to an office. Yeah. Being yelled at for eight hours and being told how shitty I am, and then going home. But that's another part of imposter. That's another part. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, like this goes on forever, so I can't get into every aspect of it. Oh no, we could talk about this for. Literally. It's such an interesting. Well, there's uh, just so many topic. things that play into it because it's it's not even just yeah. that. It's not just work. It's social life. It's it's like literally, if you have t- some people think. I've got too many friends, but they don't like me because they don't know me. Once they find out right. who I am, they're going to hate me. So it's like, it yeah. really, truly could, it's honestly anything. Yeah. How do you know you're not doing a good job at your job if you're not being yelled at all the time? <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. It's like, we're constantly, that you almost want negative reinforcement. Like, for some reason, our, I our brains are like, for only- someone to say that my book is shit. Or that our podcast is shit. At the moment, I really want someone to tell me that because I'm like, I do not trust anyone right now (laughs) um so here's the thing carla there are Mm -hmm. ways to cope oh okay good okay okay uh so this is uh, again uh from this uh, wonderful article it's called verywellminded.com to get past imposter syndrome you need to start asking yourself some hard questions they might include things such as the following what core beliefs do i hold about myself Do I believe I'm worthy of love as I am? Must I be perfect for others to approve of me? Uh, They say perfectionism plays a significant role in imposter syndrome. You might think that there is some perfect script for conversations and that you cannot say the wrong thing. Um, You probably have trouble asking for help from others and may procrastinate due to your own high standards. So that these are just some highlights here. Um, So, you know, but don't, but that's not true. You know, like there is no perfect script. No, no one is saying the right thing because you can't possibly gauge what's in somebody else's head. Yeah. So and I think perfectionism is like one of the most detrimental things to our current modern like mental health. Yeah. It's like everyone. There's so many things that come like I had like four years of therapy. <laughs> just basically being like, stop. It's not a thing. <laughs> Right. And it's like, well, <laughs> that that's what it comes down to. <laughs> stop it. Good. She's like, stop making gift baskets for everyone that comes visit to your visiting to your house. That's <laughs> that's I've actually- told you like a thousand times. I'm like, gift baskets have been banned by my therapist, so you do not you only have a small gift basket that it was I swear it was already there before her. We uh <laughs> we were telling uh we were telling Caitlin that while we were training, uh, Lena, because I said something. She was like, "I really." She's like, "I really love that hat." I was like, "Carla bought it for me," and she's like, "Wow, I'm really learning a lot about Carla." And I was like, "I was like, oh, why? What else?" And she says, "Lena says she makes really nice gift baskets." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, Carla's really good at gifts." <laughs> um, she was yeah, laughing. but I need to yeah, that I've been banned. But but now I'm out of therapy. Now I'm free of ther- I've been cured. So Woo-hoo! now I can gift just make baskets. gift baskets until I have a mental breakdown again. Yay! <laughs> Yay! But I'm happy you all have cream and lip chap. You're like crying. Yes. On the 
so so here are some so so those are the questions you can ask yourself to start getting on the, the right page because then i think when you ask your most people are smart reasonable people you know mm-hmm. so if you if you're doubting yourself those are that's kind of where you can start some more coping mechanisms or you can share your feelings talk to other people about how you're feeling these irrational beliefs tend to fester when they're hidden and mm-hmm. not when they're talked about so if you like just say something to somebody like one thing that uh me and uh friend of the pod lena always talk about is that uh if we're like would i be mad at you for doing that like Mm -hmm. you know like it's like oh you have to cancel or something like that think like think reasonably or would you be mad at me for that you know what i mean yeah Yeah. it's like think reasonably like if you're if you're in your head thinking like oh they're gonna be so mad at me they're gonna be so mad at me oh my god oh my god oh my god would i but would you be mad at me for the same thing exactly like you yeah. let it build up so you kind of like you you do that to yourself um when i'm i'm sorry i'm just jumping in but um i'm wondering because okay so the other thing is like there are actual imposters right there are people who are faking are conning you um i'm going to talk a little bit about a complicated one in the history section but i think that that's that you're then feeding into that if you're not telling anybody you're continuing this fake fraud or right. this fake con in your own head well you're you, for me i know it builds up to this insane thing like where i'm like they're gonna find out that i'm not this they're gonna find yeah. out that i'm not, and then it's like what now i don't even care about why they're gonna find this out or what i haven't done now what mm-hmm. i'm plotting and planning is a reaction to this disaster so people right. are like when they find out this is how i'll react this is what I'll say back. This is what I'll do to to try to get myself out. Maybe I'll just apologize for being such a fake. You know, like it all it it, it hmm. just builds into a thing that is like like I said, it's it festers. It it becomes something that it's didn't even start with. Right. So, so that's a big thing. Yeah, to and you can about. totally you can you can wreck your own success that way. You can well, cause if you yourself don't... to have burnout. The truth um, is, is um, like if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to. So if you, yeah. if you don't you can, have, yeah, a, it's very isolationist, I guess, too, right? Well, and anytime somebody has any, like, oh, come on, like people will get behind you. There's been so many times in in my specific industry where the only reason I have succeeded beyond my own, you know, my own like ability is because people have rallied around me mm-hmm. and been like, "We really like what you're doing," and I, you know, I think if in that moment. I was in like such a bad place and I was like, no, don't worry about it. I don't, uh, don't, you don't need to do these things. But in that moment I was like, yeah, well, you know what? These people are like, they, they're, they're, they must be trying to help me do something. Yeah. And they know what they're talking about. And they're professionals in the industry. So I'll, you have to sometimes believe other people have your best interest in mind as well. Yeah. And that they do believe in you. So you have to do, you have to believe in them. They have to believe in you and you have to talk about it. So if you think like, do you think I'm awful at this? And people are like, not really. Yeah. Um, So another thing is to move past that, focus on others. While this might be feel counterintuitive, try to help others in the same situation as you. If you see someone who is awkward or alone, ask that person a question to bring them into the group. Um, As you practice these skills, you will build confidence in your own abilities. Because I'm sure there's, like, this is the thing. I'm sure in a lot of industries, there are a lot of people that are suffering from this. Yeah. And they think they're on their own. And so I think, yeah, definitely, if hel- like, helping somebody else 
you could hopefully then be like, oh, look, they're doing that thing I do. And you can hopefully in your own brain. Well, and I, and I think you can. I think because when you see room. other people do it, you go, oh, there's no reason for them to be doing that. Because you don't exactly you don't doubt them the way you doubt yourself. So you're like, I yeah. get it. Um, assess your abilities. If you have long held beliefs about your incompetence in social and performance situations, make a realistic assessment about your abilities. Write down your accomplishments, what you're good at, and compare that to with yourself for your self assessment. So if if you're constantly being like, I can't do that, I can't do that. Well, do you have several, you know, awards in accounting that say that you right. can? You know, <laughs> no, those accounting awards, man, they're, yeah, competitive. they're piling up, baby. In that world. Oh god, that world is competitive. <laughs> uh, take baby steps. Don't focus on things perfectly. Yeah. So it's the same thing as you're trying. Lower, lower your expectations. Yeah. Lower, lower, <laughs> lower. Uh, question your thoughts. Um, as soon as you start to assess your abilities and take baby steps, question whether your thoughts are rational. Just, you know, does it make sense to you that you're a fraud given everything you know? You know what I mean? Like, start to be yeah. like, wait a minute, that's not even logical. Yeah, look up cognitive distortions. If you've never even thought about something like that, there's a bunch of things that I think fall into this um, that are ways of that you you've trained your brain to think like catastrophizing um mm-hmm. uh like future thinking future future um guessing like all this kind of stuff so um i'll give you a few more and then we'll move on here because this could mm. really go on forever um stop mm. comparing this is an important one to me this is yeah. a conversation i've had with so many people over and over again about myself about them about everything don't compare your journey to somebody else's it sounds really uh you know uh something you put on pinterest it sounds sounds cliche but it's not man because you know why because everything you do is super different to somebody else exactly so you don't know what's going on with in their situation they don't know what's going on in your situation yeah and they might have a totally you know like you you never know what somebody else's thing is so it's like you know it's it's really easy to do that on uh, all social media and everything to see what somebody's doing and be like i didn't do that but don't then you gotta you gotta go your own way, um, yeah. and then right below that it says use social media moderately because <laughs> yeah that's exactly except uh, for TikTok go on TikTok it makes you feel better because everybody is a mess on TikTok everyone it is it's insane <laughs> it's there's some there's some it's crazy talk on TikTok if there are people on there that are like look how great my life is they're not supposed to be on tiktok that's no, not where, that's, that's not, not what it's for tiktok is for world. dancing and finding out if there's ghosts in your attic <laughs> oh i haven't gotten to that one yet oh yeah ghost talk get on it oh that sounds fun um, um so the last two are stop fighting your feelings uh like or you know stop like if you're like hey i, I belong here no i don't <laughs> it's like trust your instincts you know like go yeah. with, stop it um, also refuse to hold refuse to let it hold you back no matter how much you feel like you don't belong don't let that stop you from pursuing your goals right like that's easier said than done but if it's you know it's like hey am i gonna do this or am i gonna sit here by myself and think about how i can't do it right so yeah holy smokes this is a long one but there was so can i add another one sorry i just thought of okay yeah. everyone else is faking it <laughs> yeah everyone this is the thing that like gets annoyed that I get annoyed with because I have um, a depressive disorder. People are like, but you're always smiling. You're always happy. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't mean anything. That's not. 
You're like, that's even worse. <laughs> that's what that is. Yeah. Um, it's the same pe- like it's the same thing with people who are overconfident. It's the same thing with people that look amazing. Um, when you get behind it, everybody is just trying to, you know, do their best and fake yeah. it till they make it and not like- in a bad, nefarious way. No, they're just trying to, like, no one thinks they're good at anything, and they're just trying to be good at something, like... Yeah, unless you're a psychopath. Unless you're a psychopath. Different conversation. I remember, and, you know, it's funny, like, I mean, I think in the arts, people tend to be a little bit more, a little bit what like this. They seem to right. have this problem, but I, well, I was out one time with a bunch of comedians and my sister, and everyone kept going, is your sister okay? Is your sister okay? And I was like, yeah, why? She's like, she's just not saying anything. I'm like, yeah, she doesn't need to, she doesn't feel the need to constantly <laughs> ramble on to, to get your attention. Yes. And so people kept like asking, are you okay? And she was like, yeah, I'm really enjoying the show. Cause we were like at a concert right. and that she was like, I'm not like asking other people if they're okay. I'm not like, <laughs> she wasn't like smiling in people's faces. She was just like enjoying yeah. herself, having a cocktail and like grooving to the music. And every comic that was there was like, hey, uh, should we ask your sister if she wants a drink? And I was like, dude, she is so much finer than you think yeah. she is. Like, she's just having, I, we're all like, I don't know, maybe I should ask them if they want a drink. I can't afford to buy everyone a drink. Well, I wouldn't want to just buy one person a drink. <laughs> like, my sister's just sitting there enjoying the show like a normal human. It was, yeah. it was very, actually, it was like such a funny social experiment to walk. I'm like, God, we're high strung. <laughs> Fuck! Want to make other people happy? Like, ah, God, like me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, holy uh-huh. smokes! Yeah. Long-winded. Um, mm-hmm. this could be a four-part episode. To be honest, I don't think that you could have covered this shortly. No, and I think you did a good job. In well, I don't think I was good enough, it. Carla. Why? <laughs> Are you faking it? Yeah, I am actually. And this is truly in this sense, I'm I would be uh I would be remiss not to mention that I am faking this because I'm just reading articles. <laughs> but you're also this is but this is the thing. This is what we're doing. This is what we do. We try to we we're just trying our best. Yeah, we're just I'm just copy and pasting articles. <laughs> <laughs> And then I'm telling you that at least you're giving my sources. own. You words. know what? You're giving sources, so that's that's really good. A psychopath would not give sources. That's true. I didn't think of these things. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right, give us some history. All right, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite topics. So I am going to. I did try to be like. I was like, well, I need to listen to 17 podcasts that I've already listened to on this topic. <laughs> Find documentaries that I probably have already seen. And then I was like, oh, no, I have to get my vaccination shot. I'm tired and I don't want to listen to this anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm going to. So one thing that I love, I oh, we all know that I love British history, especially anything on the day with the royals. Mm-hmm. But what I really love is Russian history. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to talk about the Romanovs and specifically Anastasia. Ooh, I love that name. Did you see that movie? Like, no, I did not. Back in the day, the cartoon with Meg Ryan. No, no, I didn't. Meg, it's called Anastasia. Know. Oh, I get like the Disney Anastasia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Isn't that a great film? Um, can't remember it, but I know I saw it. Okay. Okay. Anyways, that was one of the reasons that I fell in love with Russian history. But okay, don't watch that that movie. And also, it is now traveling when we get Broadway again. 
it is doing a uh, show. It's traveling across Canada for Broadway across Canada whenever we're allowed to go back up there. So what I'm talking about today is the, so Nicholas II, the last czar of Russia and the Romanovs. Do you know anything about this? I don't. Now I'm excited. Oh, this is exciting. Yay! Woohoo! Okay. I was hoping that it wasn't too, like, common of a thing that people would know about. So, uh, Nicholas II was not the best of czars, but it also this was, like, early 1900s. So we're kind of moving. He was still, like, a full monarch at this time. So... Obviously, a lot, most of most of the countries, especially post World War One, had moved away from any kind of monarchical um, ruling. But he was holding on to that throne, and so um, eventually, he did, with the pressure of the popular people and probably some people with some swords and maybe some guns, <laughs> was encouraged to abdicate the throne. Right. So, <laughs> as you do. Um, he had four daughters and one son, Alexei. And if you uh, have heard that great song about Rasputin. I have, uh, this, have done. It, yes. Okay. So, this relates back to him. I'm not going to talk about Rasputin, but he was involved. Their youngest, who would have been the czar, Alexei, he had hemophilia. So, he, if you fall down, it's a, a thing where if you fall down, your blood doesn't clot properly, so he could be, like, internally bleeding really easily. If he gets, like, a cut, he would bleed quite a bit. So that's where this monk, Rasputin, came in and tried to help. Right. Anyways. So there was a lot of shit that was going on before all this, and therefore he had to abdicate, abdicate the throne. So they were, his family was um, banished to Siberia, to a small town of Ekaterina. Ekaterinburg. I used to be able to say this super easy. I can't say it today. My apologies. Especially Zula. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> um so anyways, they were they were held in a small town in the small town in a house and um, when the white army, which was, so there was the white army and there were the Bolsheviks. The Bolsheviks was holding the family. When the white army arrived two weeks later, there was no trace of the Romanov family. So there's Nicholas II, there's Alexandra, his wife, the four daughters, the one son, and a couple of, um, like, assistants whatever you want to call those people sure servants yeah mm-hmm. yeah they certainly um, so the Bolshe- bolsheviks admitted to killing nicholas ii that's a big thing you're killing the czar they're very uh, still this was at the time where like he was considered almost like a god um in theory i guess but said that his wife and son had been sent away and they said nothing about the daughters so there's obviously like this huge civil war going on right now at that time um, a lot of things are happening, and nobody can find any bodies. There were supposed to be 11 people in this house, uh, and all they find is, like, a few jewels and maybe some assorted goods in the nearby forest. That's 1917. Interesting. Cut to, I think. Yeah. 1920. A woman was pulled out of a burnout. Burnout. Fuck. 
cool it on the Prosecco, she said. <laughs> she takes another drink. Every time I, like, stutter, I'm like, oh, God, I need more Prosecco. <laughs> I know. I just need to wet my whistle. In 1920, a woman was pulled from a Berlin Canal. The police pulled her out, and uh, they asked her what had happened, and she refused to speak. They couldn't get any information from her. She had no ID, no money, and her clothes are very nondescript. Which I was like, does that just mean that she didn't stitch her name in the back? Yeah, she was like, her shirt, my like name is Dan. <laughs> can... <laughs> Eventually, she uh, admits that she tried to kill herself. And she has a lot of old kind of violent scars on her. And her foot looked to have been previously pierced at some point. So they can't really get any more information out of her than that. She's sent to a mental hospital in Dal- Daldorf in Germany. Uh, And she's diagnosed with a depressive mental illness. And she stays there for 19 months, but barely speaks to anyone. There's another patient there, Clara, who had actually worked with an aristocratic family in Moscow before the revolution. So the whole thing of like where the Romanov family is, is a big thing in the news, right? There's this entire like royal family basically kind of missing. Ooh, I do not know this. This is exciting. I want to like get into knowing this. Oh, it's such a so many. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. <laughs> it's like my my like history right spot. There we go. Um, but so Clara kind of gets enough information that sort of hints that this young woman was maybe the daughter of the czar and is one of these missing Romanovs. Right. So when Clara is released from the hospital, the story gets out to the press that one of the Romanov daughters has survived. So eventually this woman, this woman that's in this hospital, she starts to kind of admit that maybe, yes, she is Anastasia, one of the Romanov daughters. Um, and it wasn't as if she could inherit the throne. Because number one, also, <laughs> there are a lot of other weird shit going on in Russia at that time. Right. Um, They're still mostly in revolution. Um, but she wouldn't have inherited because she wasn't uh, male. It always went through the, um, the male line. So May 2020, I wrote 2022, so that's probably <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. In the future. Uh, 1922, there we go. Um, she was released from the hospital and was released into a former czarist bureaucrat's home. So that kind of like gives her a bit of weight, obviously, like they believe that she was the czar's daughter. And basically for the next 46 years, she would just pass through many homes, hospitals, like different places as the, uh, Romanov daughter, Anastasia. So she eventually said that she had hidden in the back of the house when um, the murders had happened and a soldier had taken her and hid her. And when the white army came asking questions and they were like, oh, we don't know where anybody is. Uh, the soldier took the soldier who was named Alexander took her to Bucharest. She married Alexander and they had a child, but he was shot two years later. She then left the child with his family in Bucharest and went to Germany, where she had leapt into the canal. So that's kind of where we are up to. Whoa. So, yeah. Going on, going going from this point, she is known as Frau Anastasia 
Tchaikovsky. So Alexandra Tchaikovsky is who she had married before. She said she had married. What? Um, so that's how she kind of she came to that name. So she was featured in magazines, films. Um, you know, she was all over the press. It's a big story, right? It's kind of because this was one of the last royal families left. Right. And, you know, it's a huge scandal for them to have gone. They, I think everybody kind of knew that they had all been murdered by this point. But now there was this, oh, okay, maybe one had escaped. And that's totally, you know, that would have been possible back then or possible to believe back then. That's uh, yeah, she was a, I'm like so intrigued. I'm like, this is crazy. So she was the same height and age. She had the same foot deformity as Anastasia. Uh, But she would not speak Russian. And she said it was because it brought up bad memories. But she could understand Russian. Uh, She would speak German flawlessly until it was suggested that that maybe didn't fit her claim. And then afterwards, she spoke it badly. Oh, so that's special. Um, Anastasia or Anastasia would have known uh, French and English, but um, this lady uh, only spoke French once and then never again. She met two courtiers from the uh, court of um, Tsarist Russia times, uh, and they spoke of the past times, but she did not respond, and they did not believe it was her. Um, she really couldn't, she, she had a lot of answers for things, but if you then go look at it, it was all stuff that would have appeared in the press. Oh, so she could have just like researched it. Mm-hmm. Just like we do. Um, <laughs> so wait, let me get this straight. She was just, I like shit all over her. You're like, that's exactly <laughs> her. Um, in 1932, she was asked a set of questions. Um, but she actually kept the list for five days, and then some of the details would have been in mem- memoirs that she had access to. Um, they never actually released how many questions she answered to this sort of set qu- set quiz of who you are. Um, but she had been in and out of hospitals, and doctors said that she showed no sign of mental deficiency. And because she showed little initiative in proving that she was Anastasia... Therefore, she must be Anastasia. <laughs> it's all so confusing. <laughs> um, so in 1928, she checks into a hotel in Long Island, America, mm-hmm. under the name Mrs. Anderson. This eventually evolves into Anna, Anna, Anna Anderson. So that's what the name is that most of the time if you look at her up, she's going to be a, a called Anna Anderson. Uh, and she pretty much by that time, 1928, this is like eight years later, she had been rejected by the remaining members of the Romanovs, and she then had a breakdown. In 1933, after she had moved back to Germany, she launched a lawsuit to prove she was Anastasia. Now, why would she do that? <laughs> weird. Yeah, because other... she didn't want to be known before. Exactly. That's what the doctor said. Um, that made her so convincing. Um, but other Romanov heirs were starting to look for the fortune that the Tsar had supposedly left in Europe. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't think that has ever come out. I don't think he had a fortune 
that was probably part of the problem. Right. Um, he has a lot of those eggs. Faberge eggs are very much tied to this this world. So he had those. Um, this lawsuit would drag on for decades. Her the behavior therein became fairly erratic. She finally got her own home in Germany in 1949 and filled it with clutter until about 10 years later it became unlivable. So she became a hoarder. Uh, in 1960, she moved to a chalet nearby, did the same thing. Because if you watch hoarders, you have to treat the disorder first, not yeah. just the stuff. You can't just Moving. chuck this no. shit in the garbage. You got to no. talk to the guy who keeps putting it in his house. <laughs> she would bury <laughs> dead cats and dogs in the garden, which would start to smell. Obviously, she was not apparently deep enough, I guess. I don't know. I don't Maybe she was just do, burning too many. But the authorities demanded that she clean up the area. But instead, she barricaded herself in the house for three days. Eventually, the fire department broke down the door and found her on the floor, dehydrated and emaciated among 60 cats. Trixie, close your ears. (laughs) Now, everyone likes to call me a cat lady because my husband convinced me to get two cats, and he's the cat person. (laughs) Um, We had three cats at one point. That's almost too many cats that's a lot it is but too many it's it just becomes three of anything three children is a lot that's yeah i i I applaud my mother every day oh yeah yeah you're a three Three. (laughs) um now times that by whatever equals to 60 (laughs) that's two that's that's not there's not even a word for that that's not that's not too many cats that's gone past that 20 Carla, three times 20 and 60. <laughs> I've had a lot of percent. My mom did tell me to do better in math. Oh, I was the worst at math. I was awful. Um, that's Who knew crazy. We'd have to use it in our podcast. Dude, I so, did not plan for this. <laughs> anyways, um, there was also like a lot of mementos that they found scattered around. Like these are like things that are signed by like kings and queens and like very high up people scattered around basically like cat and dog shit uh she was married she then married somebody in the u.s he was 20 years younger than her so that's pretty good um but just as crazy so they had a tree stump in their living room as one and does. she cremated the cats in the fireplace <laughs> hey and both um, recycling recycling that's true you know what that's she learned her lesson don't bury them just in the ground <laughs> that yeah. doesn't work very well that's people work- get upset and this is where cremation was in. <laughs> um, unfortunately, her husband and her um, both started to feel uh, to, to their health declined. Um, at one point, she weighed 60 pounds. Oof. Oh, that's not good. I uh, and eventually, she died of 60 pounds. <laughs> you know, I was like, that's a lot less than I wear. Weigh, <laughs> you know, by like 20 pounds. Um, I'm kidding. That's two times that is too skinny <laughs> for me. I could lose 60 pounds and no one would notice. Let me prove that. <laughs> um, she eventually died of pneumonia on the 12th of February, 1984. So just a few months before I was born. Um, and in the U.S., they let her, she had a final request and her death certificate stated her as 
Anastasia Romanoff. Wow. So, what do you think? Was she Anastasia? I don't know. <laughs> she sounds tra- right. she sounds traumatized no matter what. Yes. Yes. And this like- is kind of why I wanted to talk about this because there is a lot of imposters in the world and in history and stuff. This one's a little bit more complicated and imposter syndrome is a lot more complicated. Yeah, it kind of feels like, you know, there maybe, you know, you like I said you can't live in somebody else's head. Maybe she was, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of trauma uh, associated with being a Romanoff so she didn't ever want to call you know she she probably mm-hmm. battled with the idea of going you know yes I am no I'm not yes I am no I'm not and that would drive a person yes. insane so Absolutely. there's that Absolutely. potential or there's yep. the potential that she was there's so many people who do things exactly like this who are just like after some sort of I don't think it's always money man I think sometimes it's nope. it's it's just the association and the fame and or the whatever it else love it can be you know wedding family yeah like um, some people you know there's women who uh believe they're pregnant so heavily that they start yeah. to uh develop uh like milk in their breast yeah. yeah yeah so i mean i th- i think the mind's a powerful place so maybe maybe she really started to believe it maybe she wasn't i don't know do you want to know the real story yeah you're like no i want to believe the movie disney movie anastasia yeah <laughs> All right, so here's what happened. 1979, a geologist, Alexander Avdononin. Av- oh, so maybe, so so do you have the answer to this then? Oh, yeah, 100% we've solved this. Oh, you, okay. Um, I love that I yeah. don't know any of this. So then, I'll, then no. I should say something now before. Okay. Sure, yeah. Give us a yes or no. Okay. No. Okay. Okay. We will see if you are correct. So, uh, 1979 geologist Alexander Avdonin. I thought the second time I said it would say better. I'm so sorry, Mister <laughs> Avdonin. He found a grave near the mansion in Ekaterinburg, where the family had been under house arrest. So, 1979. This is during Soviet Union Russia. He found some bones. But worrying about the reprisal from the Soviet government, he actually reburied them. Oh, fuck. But in 1988, Avdonin approached uh, Gorbachev's government, which was loosening its stance on the Romanov. Um, like, they didn't want to... Before, you could not discuss the Romanovs. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, and when Gorbachev came in, obviously, this is kind of the moving towards the dissolving of the soviet union he mentioned to them hey guess what i like found maybe some bodies of people and so in 1991 after the soviet union collapsed so he told them this in 1988 it wasn't until 1991 after the soviet union collapsed that they actually went and found the bones of the imperial family uh and the dna confirmed it and previous subject on the podcast prince philip Mm-hmm. Uh, it was his blood that they took because he was a grand nephew wow. of Alexandra, who was the mom. Um, so that's how they checked the DNA. Um, but there were two children who were missing from this. That was Maria and Alexei. Ooh. We think. Okay. But okay, but we don't know that for sure right now. In 1994, a tissue sample was taken of Anna Anderson. Um, and they tested the DNA 
and they could use his name, obviously. Uh, and it proved not to be a match. <laughs> yeah. So I was, yeah. Okay. You were correct. So, to- like I said, in 1995, the skeletons were confirmed to be, or sorry, one of the skeletons that was found was confirmed to be Anastasia, and the missing one was the other sister, Maria. Right. You want to know why I said no? Mm-hmm. Because we're doing imposters? <laughs> No, but it was imposter syndrome, so it could have been either way. I mean, if it was, true, then it would have true. been. It would have been that. It would truly be the true sense of imposter syndrome if it if it was her. Mm-hmm. Uh, too much crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah, she was doing too many wild, yeah. wild fucking things. She Can was you get cats involved and they're dead and they're. Too she was like too many cats. She was married to too many important people, and then she wasn't. <laughs> then she was fucking twenty year olds, and she was burying dogs. She was burning people or burning animals in a fireplace. Yeah. It was just like a lot of wild choices in between. <laughs> in yeah. between, I am this person and I'm not this person. Exactly. It just like but- sounds like a lot of people I've met at the club in the <laughs> in the bathroom <laughs> telling you tall tales. 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah. They're doing cocaine off the ground. Yeah, they're the like, I got a like, business Wait. idea. <laughs> There's a lot of stories. There's a lot like- of stuff going on here. Um, but here's the thing. Okay, so Anastasia, the film came out. I forgot to look this up. Let's say late 90s. I can't really remember. But at this point, they did not know. Between 1991 and 1995, they did not know if one of the bodies was Anastasia. So therefore, they could have gone and written a Disney musical about it. Right. Because maybe Anastasia was missing. Um, so... Let's go back to actually what happened. So the family was taken to this house in Yekaterinburg. I said it once good and I liked it. Anyways, at one point, they basically took them into the basement. <laughs> Are you alright? Yeah, I'm laughing at you because <laughs> you actually said it really good that time. I know. Oh, did I? Okay. Yeah, and then you're, but, but now I'm pissed. <laughs> now I'm pissed. I fucked it up. Sorry, guys. Um... <laughs> So they, they took the family, everybody in the family, into the basement of this house that they were staying in. And they were shocked. All of the family. I think at one point they even, like, let Alexa sit in a chair because he, you know, like, was tired. Or somebody got to sit in a chair. I didn't write this down. This is me going off memory. Um, one thing that happened that was pretty fucking awful is that, um, because the daughters had been told to, this was like way back, had been told to sew diamonds and jewels into their dresses when they were shot at, a lot of that ricocheted off and they weren't shot, right? So it took two minutes for them to be killed. And then they went around and bayoneted, bayoneted any member of the family that was still alive this is a point in the podcast where i'm going to learn what bayoneted means like okay so i don't know if this was world war or this must have been world war one people used to have guns with knives at the end of it Ooh. and so it seems like overkill yeah but i guess if you're well i guess what would probably happen is your gun would fuck up and so then you would stab somebody with your gun basically you were stabbing people with guns <laughs> uh the old gun stabbing bits on the end yeah you know that old chestnut that um, old chestnut how so do you, yeah how do you die he got gun stabbed 
<laughs> he fun. wasn't done by done by the gun stab. <laughs> yeah. Um, they were then taken into the uh, forest, and all those bodies that I just talked about that were found, they were like burned. I think they were put in a mine, but when I was doing research for this, that didn't come up. But I think it might have happened. I'm not sure. Um, anyways, uh, so go to 2007. There's still the sun, Alexei, the heir to the czarist Russia, mm-hmm. and his sister Maria. And the bones were finally found in 2007. They had not been buried with the rest of the family. They had been taken to a different part of this in this forest. And to this day, they have not been buried with the rest of the family and are instead held in a Russian state archive. Oh, boy. Yeah. So there's a weird... There's like a weird thing surrounding it. Yeah. It's still... So, I mean, Russia's very... I mean, I know lots of people don't like them because of love with it, but it's a very complicated, very interesting country. And still even now, like, when you talk to some Russian people, they the czar is like a, still a thing. Like, it was... Because it's so in recent history, um, that's why... I think Putin gets away with a lot of stuff because they kind of just see him as a czar. This is me talking about it from a, obviously. I have a buddy who studied, uh, like he did his degree in Russian studies. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it's just, I I think there's a, an an incredible wealth of information and there is. That's very interesting. Yeah. So that is the story of, Oh, okay. Sorry. Who was she though? I forgot about this. Okay, so oh. who was this lady? Yo, then? who does she bitch? Was not Anastasia. Who did bitch? They <laughs> think her, next her name was <laughs> Franziska. Oh, jeez, Shinskowska. Nope, that's probably not right. I bet you it is. That's <laughs> friend, not right. Anyway, she was a a Polish factory worker. What they think maybe happened was she actually was working in a factory and she dropped a grenade. Which is not great. <laughs> not like she was in the factory making grenades. I'm pretty sure she wasn't just like making toys and brought in a grenade. Um, but she dropped a grenade and injured her head and actually killed somebody in front of her. So obviously that's like very mentally damaging and she really struggled after that. So, God. you know, it's very likely that she then did tr- try to kill herself in the Berlin Canal. And then she was kind of just very slowly talked into this situation. Because you have to remember, it was this girl, Clara, who was in the institution with her. Right. Um, that kind of was may- maybe encouraging it, maybe not on purpose. Buddy. You know, we it's... talk about false confessions and stuff like that. It's always the friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's always somebody that's like oh just do it like there's like a what's the mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody's whispering behind every or... drunk stupid thing is is a friend he's a friend who's just like didn't want to do the thing themselves and they were like <laughs> come on jump out of the tree it'll be fine it'll, it'll, be, it'll be really funny it'll be hilarious so it it's it is likely like because she was diff- she was um she had mental issues maybe she actually believed that she was anastasia I mean, she lived most of her adult life as that. So I think if you start like 
like George Costanza said, it's not a lie yeah. if you believe it. It's like if you start to believe something so firmly, you, you make it true. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so I thought it kind of tied into this imposter syndrome a little bit, just in terms of like it's almost the exact opposite. Jesus. In terms yeah. of like she kind of managed to convince herself that she was something that she was not versus people that suffer from imposter syndrome <laughs> who believe they are not um, something even um, though they are. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Crazy. A good one, Carla. Yeah. You had me on the edge Thank of my you. seat, my friend. Oh, I'm so glad. And it's such a good story. There's so many things that you can look into after this and around it. It's it's a very interesting. Well, story. and I also have the Disney Plus, so I will be putting my oh. I'll put my Mighty Ducks on hold, and yeah. I'll, no. I've been watching. No, you shouldn't. That, I've been watching the new series. Mighty Ducks. Um, <gasps> okay. And uh, Jane Stanton, great Canadian comic, and also on the uh, uh, High School Suck podcast on the, mm. the network. He's mm-hmm. in Mighty Ducks. Oh, she is. Yeah, she plays one of the moms. She's fucking Aww. wicked. She's so funny, dude. Um, she's so funny on stage. She's funny in this. It's 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 pretty cool to watch. They filmed it in New Westminster, just across the street from where I used to live. So, and obviously, I'm a huge Mighty Ducks fan. So, a huge Mighty Ducks fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that it's it, the, the the series is fun. I mean, uh, what's his name is in it? Uh, Emilio Estevez. Who we Joshua saw Jackson at- is not in it, and he did not appear in the episode. I know this already. <laughs> no, he's not in it. Um, but other people are in it. But so many other people. From are. The- yeah, check it out. Um, anyway, wa- sorry, you're gonna watch Anastasia instead. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just gonna watch Anastasia. I'm gonna put it on pause. I'll watch Anastasia, and I'll get all caught up. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you want some more background stuff there's so many really good podcasts about this you're wrong about which I think I talk about once a month on here yeah does a really good one Um, Futility Closet does a really good one where I got a lot of my information from Um, yeah it's just really cool it's really cool because it's very uh, recent yeah we didn't know what happened (laughs) I was gonna say like it's like right up until recent that it's like it's kind of like oh my god, and I do love a mystery that gets solved but gets solved like oh there's a part of me that just loves like the the ribbon on the end of it like a little bow tie, oh. like yeah we figured this out, yes it's nice. Can I take pretty you into nice. the future a little? Yes, please. Okay, I'm gonna breeze through this pretty quick because I think we've gone into depth. Um, uh, pretty heavily on this but this is this is a fun okay. little thing that takes us again right up until today um mm-hmm. with COVID-19 happening uh oh. imposter syndrome is at its best <laughs> during COVID <laughs> it is because no cool now shut up this is from uh, the dailyprinceton.com this is an article uh from a student from Princeton what's happening really I'll, I'll sort of su- surmise it but um it is it's basically like, you know, like all these things exist. Now they're under a microscope and it, it feels like everything is times a thousand. So, right. uh, you know, imposter syndrome existed in a, a bunch of people for a bunch of different reasons. But now there's a new reason. So, so many people have lost their jobs. So many people are so like the workforce has been cut down to, you know, some in some places, 10 percent. You know, there's lots of offices that have scaled way back. So now the people that retain the job and retain the positions, now they feel like this is an accident. 
Like, right. I shouldn't be here. This this person had four kids. They worked harder than me. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be the one. This specific article was written, again, uh, by a student from Princeton, and they talk about how the emissions rate have gone down significantly because they can only so many people can be in school. Right. So the class of 2025 because it's 2021 now so it's a four if you typically people have a four-year degree right so has the lowest acceptance rate in history of princeton so when ivy league schools have a very like it's i mean that's why that college admission scandal happened it's not easy to get into those schools so there it's our it's already the most the elitist the elite of the elite are there to begin with now they have the lowest acceptance rate um, in history. So the people that are there are truly, truly the top of the top of the top. Yeah. Um, You know, in academics, the people that are there are now like, I shouldn't be here. I, I'm not the smartest. I, I got, you know, like I got, I did well in this class because I studied really hard, but what if I don't have the time? You know what I mean? Like, it's really... Right. So you're basically starting your adult career thinking you're a fake. Yes. It was a, it's a really interesting Ooh. article. I encourage you, if, if this is something that you um, are interested in, to go to thedailyprinceton.com. And uh, if you just, or if you just Google search uh, imposter syndrome uh, Princeton, this article should come up. But it's very, it's very well written. And it's, she just talks about, like, it's so hard being here knowing that so many people aren't, even though I know, yes. like, I'm obviously supposed to be here. Yeah. But now she compares herself to every other person. What am I doing here? What are they doing here? Like, this is COVID. Should we even be here? Like, uh, right. like on top of everything else, you know? So yeah, so it's kind of being um like like many other things. It's I I don't think we'll know the effects until all this is done. But it's it's added a, another layer to to a very uh, complex complex. Yeah, thing. I I hadn't really thought about that, but I think that's probably very true just in general, anyways. Because there's lots of people that just you know unfortunately do get sick. It's not that they're not they're at a rodeo. Calgary, <laughs> fucking Bowden, Bowden, uh, not where anti-masking. You know, it can be just very. Um, you were at a grocery store, and it's just randomly that you got it. Yeah, um, I've had some family members get really sick recently, and they and they really can't pinpoint where they caught it. Yeah, and so there is this like weird sort of aspect of, oh, how come I didn't catch it and other people caught it, mm-hmm. and it really kind of almost this definitely feels more like luck. It, this is, I think it is, it is luck and well, it's genetics, it's luck. It's, it's like, they really don't know the science behind it. They can't figure out why some people got mm-hmm. like, I have family where, um, my aunt caught it, my mm-hmm. uncle caught it and none of their kids did, but right. their kids spouses did. Oh, <laughs> so Oh my god! So they so half people tested positive, half people tested negative. They were all together, and they can't like. There's no reason for it. It wasn't that they were asymptomatic. They didn't. They tested negative, right? And didn't get it. Yeah. So it just it makes zero sense. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what the long term mental um, 
fallout is going to be. I mean, just well, in that's... general, anyways. But from COVID, but I, I I wonder if this is going to. Well, survivor survivor guilt is an awful thing too, yeah. right? So what I mean, yeah. and I mean, it's like there are people you know dying and stuff. So they're like, is this? Did I give it to that person? Mm-hmm. Like that? Oh. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to get too much into this, but it really is. I mean, the, there are so many layers of what this is doing to us mentally, and, and I don't think they'll mm-hmm. be known until until years and years later. Oh, yeah, like 20, 30, 40. Yeah, it'll be years. written in textbooks. They'll be like, oh, yeah, this actually, yeah. It, it was a butterfly effect. I mean, it just, it caused chaos uh, throughout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What better time to talk about <laughs> booze? <laughs> who needs a drink? Who needs That's a, what we need to say. Who, hey, we're an hour and a half in. Who needs a cocktail? <laughs> yeah. Good thing we've been drinking. I think we had to take a while on this one, though, to be honest. Do you want to know something? Like, typically, like, because I have the attention span of a fly, um, I'm mm-hmm. like, my mind is wandering and I want to get off. Because, like, if we go long like this. Oh, yeah. But I, but I, I, admittedly, I've been, this is so interesting to me. Like, I mean, yeah. I think because I, I, everybody suffers from it to a certain degree. I think so, yeah. So it's been, if it, you haven't suffered from it, it's coming. It's like your midlife crisis. It's coming. Don't. unless you're just unless you're just super lazy and you never try to accomplish anything but then probably you're gonna feel some weird thing you're probably good at something <laughs> hey not everybody's good at everything but everybody's good yeah. at something that was my exactly. favorite commercial as a child by the way <laughs> um, <laughs> a little just a little dip into my psyche um Ooh. okay well this is uh this is a fun drink so we're gonna yes, dip into dang. the drink portion of the program uh Carly, you picked the French 75. I did. Or we were drinking the French 75 and you said, hey, you know what will go great with the French 75? <laughs> Imposter syndrome. So Yes. Uh, and here I'm going to cut into our our live program pre-whatever. Oh, this is so funny. I didn't, this is a surprise. Cut. I didn't know you were doing this. So I will now cut into this. This is a pre-lockdown uh, uh, number 423. Yeah. When Brittany and I were allowed to see each other, and we got a French 75. So, apologies for the wind. We can't do anything with that, but at least it'll let us go outside for a little while. Yeah. Okay, so we are trying the French 75 here. Oh my god. I'm here. This is so good. Really nice. It's nice. I mean, Prosecco is a favorite. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can ever go wrong with Prosecco. Like, you could honestly give me Prosecco and pee. And I'd be like, I get it. It's organic. It's from you. <laughs> well filtered. Um, yeah, but this French 75 is nice. And I yeah. think I think you've done it just as Scarlet by pairing it with imposter syndrome. Because it's sort of like, it's gin. Yeah. But it's... But it's Prosecco. But it's Prosecco. But it's fancy looking. But it's fancy. But it's not as fancy as it wants to be. No. It's like, exactly. it's kind of, um, I think maybe what we all feel when we're like, we're like, wow, this is really good. You're like, it's just genuine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what we all are. We yeah. all are. We're all just little gems. Well, but a little for a second. A little bubbly. I can be bubbly if you want to be too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is really, really nice. All right. Sorry for the audio. I have hopefully cleaned it up best as I can, but this is our experiment with going outside. Yeah, so just so you know, this podcast was um, Carla... Uh, this was Carla's idea for a podcast, and uh, the whole idea was that we would get to experience these events. Mm-hmm. So I know that we've mentioned this previously, <laughs> but <laughs> but a lot of it was that we were going to get to go out and do these events and then pair it with alcohol. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, previous to this, 
Yeah. And then, so previous to this third shutdown, we thought, oh, we could maybe get out and have a drink together and uh, experience some of these drinks uh, for the first time. Uh, so you'd get kind of an idea of what the podcast is going to be when we can go out again. Yeah. But, but with better audio, because we'll, I'll learn how to yeah. fix the wind. We'll I'll fix it the out. wind. <laughs> um but yeah the french 75 man it actually is so nice it's i mean i like i said in the thing i love i love prosecco it's top three for me so let me tell you what's in it just uh for those of you who don't know what a french 75 is and who have listened to us talk for an hour and a half (laughs) truly god bless your hearts um but let me tell you what's in it uh half an ounce of lemon juice one teaspoon of sugar, or you can do um, like a simple syrup. Yeah. Some people do the, a simple syrup. I just like, like to take my giant bag of sugar and delicately pour it into my glass. <laughs> a, a five pound bag of sugar yeah. that you just like wisp in there. Yeah. Uh, I like it a lot. Go well, but you know. That's... <laughs> uh, traditionally, it has uh, two ounces of London dry gin or cognac. Ooh, um, I did aviation gym. Um, I just did. I, I, I just did a regular Bombay gin or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a regular blue bottle of gin that you get from Costco. Nice. Uh, champagne, chilled obviously, right. and then you put it in a champagne. Uh, oh, are we flute. supposed to drink it with champagne? Well, no, but not we really. don't like I mean, champagne, so that doesn't. We don't like champagne, so we like prosecco. Yeah. Uh, Prosecco is like a little different. Yeah. So this <laughs> is from, like, well, this is like the Brittany Carla French 75. Yeah, this is a Brittany Carla French 75. Essentially, <laughs> champagne's from France. The Prosecco's mm-hmm. from Italy. Italy so yeah. it's a little bit poison. sweeter. I find champagne just super, super dry. Um, so I just don't really like it personally. Uh, here's what I find uh, Prosecco is $11 at Costco. So <laughs> <sighs> champagne is $45 Thank at you, the liquor Costco. store. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, like so, I've had like a Dom Perignon, like I've had the expensive, like $300 ones. And I, it's not, I'm still going to go with my fucking $10 Costco La Marca Prosecco. <laughs> I like it. Sorry, guys. That's just me. I'm not an imposter. Um, I have no imposter syndrome over drinking Prosecco. Yeah, me either. Um, well, let me tell you this, Carla. Hmm. You, you, Paired better than you ever have, and I don't even know if you know. Did I randomly do it? Yes, I love you happens. randomly did it. Um, this is the best when this happens. Um, <laughs> let me read you an article from Liquor.com because I think they they do it better than I can tell you. So I will just tell you what they think of the French seventy five, and if you can draw the correlations, um, you'll be pleased. Okay. Okay, so this is um let me let me give you a little um article from the liquor.com which I think is just fantastic. They're going to tell us everything we need to know. There's no need for me to pretend I know. Uh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. The historians of tippling and I'm not one of them are seldom able to provide the precise origins of most popular drinks, which ironically are the thing that tipplers really want. There are no but there's no better cocktail with which to prove than this mighty French 75, a mixture of gin or is it cognac with lemon, (laughs) sugar, ice, champagne, or is it Prosecco? 
refreshing, delightful, and wickedly, wickedly intoxicating. It's a concoction every bartender must know and every drinker must cherish. So already it's kind of telling us like, hey, like, I don't really know who I am yet. <laughs> like, you know yes, what I mean? Like, yes. it's like, it's like, I could be, it's, you can use whatever you want because mm. I'm not sure if I'm, you know, so it's, 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 it's already, the correlation has begun. Nice. <laughs> I like it. But where does it come from? All the pieces are accounted for. So it's just a question of how in the blazes to get them to fit together. The French 75, as we know it, first appears in print in 1927 at the height of Prohibition in a bootlegger friendly's little volume called Here's How, put by put out by a New Yorker humor magazine. From there, it got picked up by the 1930 Savory, savory Cocktail Book. Savoy. And once it Sorry. was in there, I'm going to be a dick. Sorry, Savoy. Savoy. No, no, no. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, in 1930, Savoy cocktail book. And once it was in there, it was everywhere. This elixir has the distinction of being the one and only classic born in America during the dry period. Oh. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's interesting. Here's the problem, though. When Charles Dickens visited, visited Boston mm-hmm. way back in 1867, he By the way, liked, he only worked, I think, I think it was him. He only worked four hours a day. See? <laughs> it it might like, be Mark Twain, oh. but I'm not sure. But it might be Charles Dickens. But it's, there was no need to fucking, you know. And let's be honest. That man was not light with the fucking wordage. Good grief. I can't imagine how long it took him. Learn how to use a period, dude. The the description of a closet was <laughs> mind numbing. You're like, twas twas a hole in the wall in which the clothes typically hung. Not always though. Sometimes you're like, oh my god, it's a closet. Yeah, yeah. But I do trust him on drinking, so that's fine. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the problem though. When Charles Dickens visited Boston way back in 1876. He liked to entertain library or literally, literally, sorry, oh my God. Literary? God. I'm a literary, literary person. I'm a literary. <laughs> he liked to entertain literary lions of, of the town in his room at the Parker House. Tom Gin and Champagne Cups, as he called them. Uh-huh. In, an, in an 1885 article about the hotel claimed, a champagne cup is bubbly sugar, citrus, and ice. <gasps> Add Tom Gin, and the story seems to indicate that you've got something uh, <laughs> close to the se- French 75. Oh my god, that's so better there's... if Charles Dickens maybe kind of sort of invented it. Might he have invented it. 100% invented it, we're calling it. <laughs> and we're done. And we're done. Put a period <laughs> on that fucker, dude. <laughs> Sorry, I just finished it. I finished Bleak House, and it's been a it's been a long time. A long I have time. a little PTSD about the over. Indeed, the combination of gin and champagne was a popular one with the gents of a certain class. According to their contemporaries, it was a favorite of Queen. <gasps> who? Queen who? Carla. Queen Victoria's yeah. son, the Prince of oh, Wales, also known yeah. as Kalakuna, the sporty type of who is the king of Hawaii. The combination oh. of the oh, cognac cool. and champagne, just as well known, if not more so, as the king's peg, as it's standardly <laughs> served in eastern parts of the British Empire. Cool. In short, the odds of whoever invented the French 75 
didn't really invent anything at all. And it and all he or she did was give it its name. But of course, with drinks of this name uh-huh. is everything. People who were drinking the spirits with the sugar and the bitters of the century before, some yoked that cheerfully with the or some yoked that cheerful word cocktail to the uh, oh my god, this is insane. You're doing, <laughs> well. You're doing well. You're not being uh, Charles Dickens about this. I'm not being <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to start well, saying that instead of Dick. Yeah, don't be such a Charles Dickens. Yeah. Um, essentially, what they're saying, Carla, is that Sorry. like nobody invented this. No one knows where it came from. It doesn't know where it comes from. Right. It doesn't know if it's supposed to be cognac. It doesn't know if it's supposed to be gin. It doesn't know if it like we put it with prosecco. That's how we were served the drink was with prosecco at a restaurant. So it's very um. You really, it's it's it, it's got having some sort of uh, I don't know identity crisis. That's interesting. We I don't. We've had very like like confusing as to who started it a lot of the time, but not this historic. Yeah, there was, or maybe this old. I mean, this has been such a funny episode because it's been like just <laughs> so much. Sometimes I literally beg for information about stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I'm like, oh god, oh, just give yes. me one story that seems like worthy of telling. Oh. And this week I was just bombarded by. I mean, I know oh, we need to cool. do imposter syndrome number two. Oh, this could be two episodes. Yeah. Um. Do you want some interesting facts? Do I? All right. So I'm actually going to go back to you were talking about the Savoy cocktail book, which came out in 1930. Uh, yeah. This was written by Harry Craddock, 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 probably Craddock, uh, who was the head bartender at Savoy Hotel in London, and he collected a bunch of recipes, and they asked him to put it into a cocktail book. He put over two thousand recipes in it. It is still wow. in print today. So, oh my god, it is actually our one-year anniversary, everyone. Hey. Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary. <laughs> um, so, if anybody wants to get us a bit, uh, like a gift, yeah, we're not opposed to you getting us the Savoy cocktail book, <laughs> or join our Patreon. Mm-hmm. That could be our yeah. yeah you know, it's actually probably Patreon. better if you join our Patreon, um, where we do bonus episodes, mini episodes, interviews. Um, sometimes you get merch if you're in the real you if you're in the because there's the it's the beer club we had a we had a episode uh or we had some online fun stuff the yep. other week where somebody won some prizes yes um yeah so anyways anywho that's do that join patreon but if you find the book it's it's pretty cool like it's pretty it's i mean it's from 1930 and they're still reprinting it so um some other imposters now these are actual imposters okay so mm-hmm. this guy's pretty famous ferdinand damara uh who lived from 1921 to 1982 he had a very high iq and a photographic memory which i think is very important if you're going to be a uh imposter he started off as a monk and then he joined the u.s Ooh. navy where he stole a name of a comrade and then deserted to become a monk again. Then he borrowed a Canadian doctor's name, Dr. Sears, a C-Y-R, Sears, 
um, where he was a surgeon on a Canadian destroyer during uh, Korean War. He actually operated successfully on 16 injured men. <laughs> so he was very talented, very charismatic. Um, and when it was found out, the Royal Canadian Navy didn't press any charges. He was just allowed to go back to the States where he became a hospital um, chaplain again when it was found out that he was not a hospital chaplain uh they just let him stay because he was so like well liked and he oh. even administered last rites to actor steve <laughs> mcqueen when he died in 1980 see i like this guy yeah i i mean like i honestly like he just <laughs> sure I mean, he's faking I'm it but he's doing a great job glossing over this there's lots of podcasts i think um our favorite the dollop i think does one on that yes if they haven't they should do one um but i think they have uh the other one i wanted to mention is captain i'm gonna say kopenick which is a german word this is in october 1906 he dressed in german a german army captain uniform which he had assembled from other pieces and just like commandeered two small groups of soldiers and was like, okay, we're going to uh, take this town hall over here. And this was in Copenhagen near Berlin. Um, and this was because there was a Prussian-German culture of unquestioning obedience. So no one was questioning his credentials. They were just like, that guy's in a soldier's uniform. That's the right uniform he tapped in. Okay, we just follow him. <laughs> so... He he was like, oh, um, while we're here, oh, the town officials, they're, I think that they've done fraud. Uh, you guys, you guys guard the building. I'm going to go confiscate, confiscate, confiscate. He's probably just drunk too. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go confiscate 4,000 marks, which is money. Um, and then you guys wait here for like half an hour. And then, you know, be on your own way. So he left, he changed, he disappeared, um, and later he was caught. <laughs> um, and he served four years before being pardoned by the Kaiser Wilhelm II, who was in the podcast with Prince Philip, um, due to his international celebrity. And really also because they were like, hey, maybe don't have a culture in your army of just like people just doing exactly what you say. Which, I mean, they've totally fixed in all armies, obviously. Right. Then. But yeah, I like him. Oh my, yeah. Because that's like a thing that that's happens cool. in every movie and every TV show where someone's just like, you know, it's the lab coat thing as well. If you put on a lab coat, yeah. you can do whatever you want. Instantly a doctor. Yeah. I love it. Well, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right, Carla. Well, I feel like we've delivered the goods. I think so. I feel like we have, this might have to be a nine part episode. <laughs> yeah. If you've stuck around, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, well, this is one of our favorite uh, episodes. It's our anniversary. It's yeah. one year. We went from not being able to talk for 20 minutes to mm -hmm. not being able to shut up after two hours. I mean, we really, that never really was going on. I mean, we just had to get it on. Yeah. That was when we so, were two and we didn't know how to talk yet. <laughs> well, thank you guys very much for listening mm -hmm. and we hope you continue to. Uh, if you haven't yet, uh, have a look at our Patreon. Uh, head over to 
even on Instagram, you can click our link tree and it'll take you right there. It's the easiest thing in the world. Uh, we love you. Thank you for listening. And we hope you listen for another year. Cheers.